0: Amen. Thank you, ladies, for that. The powerful name of Jesus. I know many of our minds and hearts are on the storms and um, the people who are in her path right now. And it's because of that powerful name. Of Jesus Christ and it's because of God's faithfulness that we can weather these storms we can get through these storms and so this morning we're actually gonna be talking about faithfulness and so this is a good thing to be talking about uh, in the midst of times like this we're facing storms Um, so in the midst of talking about faithfulness I want you to do something for me this morning before we dive into scriptures all right, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to answer this question, but because I know some of you uh, would answer out loud, just answer in your minds, all right? So don't answer out loud. So I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to think about what your answer would be, okay? When you think about faithfulness, all right, when you think about faithfulness, what or who has shown faithfulness to you? Okay, when you think about faithfulness, what or who has, has shown faithfulness to you in your lifetime? And a funny story for you guys, uh, growing up, we had this white little Pomeranian dog named Lady, and uh, she was just the cutest little dog ever. She was the sweetest dog, and she was very, very faithful, at least up to a point. Right, when we were growing up, we lived out in the country, and we had a, a driveway that was a quarter mile long dirt road. My sister and I would ride the bus home from school, and we'd get off the bus, and at the end of that driveway, and then guess who'd be there waiting on us? Lady. She'd be there every day after school waiting for us. And she'd follow us up the driveway, jumping around, playing. She was just a fun-loving, very faithful dog. But I can remember the day that Lady's faithfulness came to an end. I remember it like it was yesterday. We got another dog. This was the dog I wanted. This is why I remember uh, when Lady's Faithfulness came to an end, because this was the one I'd always wanted. I always wanted a bulldog, and at that point, I have one now, but at that point, uh, this was the closest thing I had ever come to having a bulldog. It was half chow and half English bulldog. His name was Bear, because he looked like a bear. He was jet black. He had a, a mane like a lion. He was built like a bulldog, and he looked mean. But he was just a big old teddy bear. He was a puppy. He loved to play. But Lady's playing days were long gone, and she didn't take too kindly to to Bear's attempts to try to play with her. Lady was a smart dog. She knew that Granny lived at the end of our driveway in this nice little house, and she knew how to get there. She'd been down there with us plenty of times playing, shelling peas on the porch or playing with the cousins. And Lady also knew that that Granny would feed her scraps from the table, which we did not do at our house. And I still don't do that today, but my kids, uh, needless, they do that, even though I tell them not to. So when Lady got tired of having to put up with this new puppy, her own peace and sanity became more important to her than her faithfulness to her family. And she left us. I mean, she went and moved in with Granny. And she never came back. We would see her when we'd go down to Granny's house to play, or shell peas, or go work in the garden. We'd see Lady, but she never came back home uh, to be with us. She she moved in with Granny. She stayed there to her dying day. Now, most of us are a a lot like Lady. Like we, we can be faithful up to a point. Alright, it's college football season, last Monday night, uh, Tennessee played uh, some team up in Atlanta, I can't really remember, I think it's the Yellow Jackets or something like that. Um, So Tennessee's playing Georgia Tech, and and, and if you were watching the game, then you heard what I heard. Like, Tennessee fans were faithful uh, up to a point, and it was that point when their team started doing things that they didn't really like, that they started booing their own team. If you're a Tennessee fan, I, I mean no offense by that. I'm sure you weren't one of the ones booing because none of our people would do anything like that. We all have the tendency to be fickle when it comes to our faithfulness and, and not just with sports. Like we, we're, we're fickle with our faithfulness when it comes to our friends, uh, when it comes to our jobs, with our family, our spouses. We can be fickle with our faithfulness when it comes to church. And worst of all is when we are fickle with our faith in God. And that is not a good thing. Because as Christ followers, we should be some of the most faithful people on the, on the face of the earth. As we look at God's Word today, we're going to be looking at an example of someone who remained faithful, even when things weren't quite going her way. And more important than seeing an example of someone who was faithful when things weren't going her way, is we're going to see God's faithfulness through this story. And we're actually going to see this morning what should motivate our faithfulness. So today we're going to be looking at the book of Ruth. So if you have your Bible or if you're using a Bible app, go ahead and open those to the book of Ruth. We're going to be in chapter 1, and this is what we're going to do. All right? I'm going to story through the entire book of Ruth, four short chapters. I'm going to story through that. But you go ahead and open up to Ruth chapter 1 because as I story through the book of Ruth, I'm going to stop and read some of the scriptures along the way, and you'll be there ready to follow along as I read. So Ruth chapter 1, follow along as I story us through the book of Ruth. And when we're through, I'm going to come back. I'm going to show us four key points from each of these chapters that will be extremely important for us to walk away with today. So, Ruth chapter 1. There was a woman named Naomi who lived in Bethlehem with her husband Elimelech. But a famine came and hit the land of Judah and Bethlehem where they lived, and, and so they decided to, to leave and moved to the country of Moab to live among the Moabites. Not too long after they arrived in Moab, Naomi's husband died. Her two sons went on to marry Moabite women. Both of these women's names were Orpah and the other's name was Ruth. Ten years pass and Naomi's sons die. Now Naomi's a widow. She, She doesn't even have sons to take care of her in her own age. The only family that Naomi has left, at least in the land of Moab, were her two daughter-in-laws. One day, Naomi hears that God has blessed the land of Bethlehem, that the famine is no more, and so she's excited. She decides to leave uh, the land of Moab and move back to Bethlehem. So she gets her daughter-in-laws, and they begin the journey. But along the way, as they're journeying back home, Naomi gets compelled to try to encourage her daughter-in-laws to go back to their homeland, to be among their own people. She tries to send them away with a blessing, but both of the daughter-in-laws refuse to leave. Naomi insists. The three ladies finally stop and have a nice little crying party. And then Orpah gives her mother-in-law a kiss and decides that she's going to go back to be among her own people. Ruth, however, stayed. She refused to leave. She refused to go back to Moab. Naomi tries to insist and even encourages her to follow her her sister-in-law's lead, but Ruth stays. Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 through 18 says, But Ruth replied, Do not ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. See, Ruth was determined to stay and remain faithful to her mother-in-law, but she was also determined to stay and remain faithful to Naomi's God. She was even willing for God to punish her if she didn't Remain faithful, So Naomi saw, after she saw that Ruth was determined to stay and remain faithful, the two continued their journey. And then towards the end of chapter 1, they arrive back in Bethlehem, and the entire town is really excited to see them, and, and, and even a little bit surprised. This was a great homecoming, a great reunion, but Naomi is still in mourning over the loss of her husband and her sons. It's interesting to note that the name Naomi means pleasant. At one time, Naomi was probably a very pleasant person to be around, but she was no longer feeling that. She is no longer very pleasant because of all the hard things that she had experienced in her life. That's why she told the people in the town, listen, don't call me Naomi anymore. From now on, call me Mara because Mara means bitter. See, she wasn't into all the fanfare and all the celebration because of her return home. She just wanted to return home and settle back down quietly. Chapter 2. After some time, uh, Ruth and and Naomi both begin to run out of food. And so Ruth sets out to to go and get some food like any other poor person in town would have set out to go get some food. She goes to see if there's anything left around the edges of the nearby fields. You see, God in his law had had made it so that the poor people could come in and and as the Israelites were were harvesting their fields, they were to leave some behind so poor people could come along and get what they needed to, to survive. And so Ruth chapter 2 verse 3 says, So Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now you may remember Elimelech. Elimelech was Naomi's husband. So, Boaz is a relative of hers by marriage. He's, he's family. He's also a very good and godly man. And Ruth, gets this, just so happened to wind up in the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. It also just so happened that on that particular day, at just that right moment, Boaz showed up to, to inspect his fields, to check things out, to see his workers. And when he got there, he. Greets his workers. We know that he has a good relationship with his workers. He's a good man. They they greet each other respectfully and very kindly. And then he immediately notices this woman working in his field, a woman he had never seen before. And so he asks, Who's this woman? And then he finds out she's Naomi's daughter in law, and then he took the initiative to go and have a conversation with her. Ruth chapter two verses eight and nine. And Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. You see, Boaz was protecting Ruth, even provided water for her to drink. And then Ruth becomes overwhelmed with his kindness. She falls down before him and says, why would you be so nice to me? You see, she knew that, that she was just a, a poor woman. Not only that, she was a poor foreign woman, which meant in their culture she was the lowest of the low. But Boaz had heard all the great things that, that he had done for, or she had done for his relative Naomi. He, he didn't see this Poor foreign woman that was the lowest of the low, what he saw was a faithful, God fearing woman. And he chose to look beyond the externals and look beyond the cultural stigmas that identified her to see the good heart that was inside or behind that godly woman. Boaz continues to take good care of Ruth as she's working in his fields. I mean, he even, one day, they they stopped to have a lunch break. He even gave her some of his wine, bread, and roasted corn. They shared a lunch together. And at the end of the day, Boaz would make sure that she had more than enough grain to go home with. And we're not just talking grain, like the scraps that she could pick up on the ground. Boaz made sure that his workers left some of the best grain behind for her to pick up. So Ruth was a very smart woman. Uh, she decided to stay and work in Boaz's field. She stayed there and worked through the barley harvest and then on through the wheat harvest. Chapter 3. Now, when Naomi and her family had left Bethlehem, they had to sell everything they had. So they sold their land and they sold their home. And this meant that when Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem, they had absolutely nothing to return to. They had no home, no land, and no inheritance. And Naomi also knew that she wasn't getting any younger. And that if she were to die, she would leave Ruth with absolutely nothing, not even a people to call her own. This whole time, also Naomi had been watching everything unfold between Ruth and Boaz. She saw how Boaz was eager to care for and help Ruth. And through it all, Naomi begins to get a, a glimmer of hope that one day her and Ruth both could have a permanent home in Bethlehem among God's people. So Naomi goes on to explain the law of the kinsman redeemer to Ruth. Now according to the law, Boaz, who was a close relative, he lived close to their property, could come in, purchase that land, and and repossess it um, so that it could stay in the family. But that wasn't all. See, the other part of the law of the kinsman redeemer redeemer was that if there was a, a bride from one of the deceased property owners, then that bride went along with the property so that was the whole deal. So after explaining all of this to, to Ruth, Naomi has her go and begin the process of humbling herself before Boaz so she could ask him to become their kinsman redeemer. And Boaz is more than willing to do this. However, Boaz is an honorable man. And so he wanted to make sure that everything was done by the book. He wanted to be able to legally make this legal, legally binding. He knew that there was another kinsman, someone who lived closer to Naomi's property than he did. This closer kinsman should have had the first shot at becoming the kinsman redeemer. And so as much as Boaz wanted to redeem the property and be able to become their kinsman redeemer to marry Ruth, he had to make sure this was done right so that it would last. It would be legally binding. That means he had to take a chance. He had to go talk to the closer kinsman and give him the first opportunity. To give him the right of refusal. So he does. He goes and talks to the, the near kinsman. Chapter 4. Boaz goes. He meets with the closer kinsman to give him the opportunity to become the redeemer. To begin with, he, he kind of explains all the land, gives him the opportunity. And, and to begin with, it sounds like a really good idea to the closer kinsman. That is until Boaz reminds him that along with the property, there comes some baggage by the name of Ruth. And the closer kinsman really wasn't into that extra baggage. He didn't want anything to do with that. So he wanted the property, but he didn't want to have to marry Ruth because he knew that if he purchased the property and married Ruth, then he would have to do everything he could to have children with her. And those children would not have his last name. They would carry the last name of Ruth's deceased husband so that they could carry on that family name. And the reason he wasn't so excited about doing any of this was because apparently he didn't have any sons of his own who could carry on his family name. He didn't want to take a chance of ever getting into a position where he could lose what he had to another family line. Boaz didn't see Ruth's baggage at all. Boaz saw her heart. He knew she was a faithful, God-fearing woman, and he wanted nothing more than to be able to be the Redeemer to marry her, spend the rest of his life uh, learning to love her, getting to know her. So Ruth chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, follow along as I read. Then Boaz said to the elders and, and all the people who were there, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance That the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. So Boaz takes Ruth to be his lawfully wedded wife. And over the years, they have children. Their firstborn son is named Obed, and that is very significant. Because Obed goes on to become the father of Jesse who goes on to become the father of David who goes on to become the most famous and and the absolute best king that Israel had ever had other than almighty God, king of heaven and earth. All these names are extremely significant because these names are listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You see, the book of Ruth is a great love story. But one of the things I want you to hear this morning is this, that that you don't have to go and read a great love story in order to experience one. Because you're living one right now. And you may not even know it. I want to show you four key points from these four chapters in the book of Ruth. and, And through these four points, I want you to see how this great love story reflects the love story that you and I are in the middle of living out right now. In chapter one, the thing I want you to see is Ruth's confession of faithfulness. She made a confession of her love and loyalty to Naomi, but she also made a confession of faith in Naomi's God. Listen to what she said. She said, your God will be my God. She called Naomi's God by the personal name that he had given to the children of Israel to use, the name Yahweh. See, Ruth had faith in Naomi's God. He had made him her God, and she trusted him with her life. But we need to understand that just because she had faith, he didn't have to receive her. I want you to see in Deuteronomy chapter 23, there is a law, a God-given law, that excludes Moabites from entering into the assembly of God's people. And it doesn't just exclude them. This law states that they are to be excluded all the way through the 10th generation. I don't know how many of you can remember back to your previous generations. I know none of us will be able to think back ten generations. I'm not even sure Ancestry.com can help us get that far back. What the Bible tells us in this law in Deuteronomy chapter 23 is that the Moabites were never, ever meant to enter into the assembly of God's people. According to law, Ruth was a Moabite. See, Boaz should have never married Ruth. It should have never happened according to God's law. Uh, much less should God who gave the law allow Ruth to become part of his family. He should have never welcomed her uh, according to the law. But God is a God of grace. And God is willing to welcome anyone who is willing to put their faith in him and trust him with their life. And see, Ruth put her faith and trust in God. The question this morning is, have you put your faith and trust in God? See, God's already taken the initiative, like Boaz. He he took the initiative to pursue you. He's already started that conversation. You're in the middle of this great love story. What role are you playing in the story? In chapter 2, we see God providing for immediate needs. God didn't just provide for Ruth's needs, he also provided for Naomi's needs. And that's important because, see, Ruth was playing the role of, of the faithful one, the one that kept her eyes on God and trusted in his ability to protect and provide. But Naomi was playing the part of, of the bitter old lady who was just having a difficult time because of her life circumstances made her that way. What I want you to see is because of Ruth's faith and God's, faithfulness. Even Naomi was encouraged. Naomi began to remember God's laws and God's promises. She even began to explain those promises to Ruth and helped Ruth go and act on those promises. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 33, Jesus encouraged his followers with these words. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You see, when Jesus is talking about all these things, He's basically talking about the necessities of life, the basic necessities of life: food, clothing and water. And Jesus says, if we would just focus, if we could focus on, on God's kingdom and His righteousness, doing what is right according to His righteousness, then He'll take care of everything we need. That doesn't mean life's always going to be comfortable for us. You see, Naomi and Ruth, their lives were not comfortable. They were poor. They were widows whose husbands died far too young. Naomi had no family left, no children except one daughter-in-law. They were poor widows who had absolutely nothing. And yet God still took care of them. He made sure they had what they needed. Warren Worsby says this. He says, God's purpose is not to make us comfortable, but conformable. Conformed into the image of Christ. See, your life may not be comfortable right now. I know many of you are going through some difficult days. And we think about our friends and family who are in Florida. If you're like me, you have family relatives in Florida right in the path of the storm. We think about people who have already been hit by this storm. All the things that are going on in life, we all know people whose lives are not comfortable right now. We all know people, and some of us are even going through difficult days, fighting what may seem to be uphill battles. I want to encourage us this morning. Like, we serve a God who's a great God. In the powerful name of Jesus, He controls the storms, the winds, and the waves. Like, He knows your circumstances. He knows what's going on in your life, and He still has you in the palm of His hand. He has not forgotten, nor has He forsaken you. I want to encourage you this morning to walk by faith, not by sight. I want to encourage you this morning to trust God to provide, to meet Your needs. He will provide. So, chapter one, we have Ruth's confession of faith. Chapter two, we have God providing for needs. And then in chapter three, Ruth humbled herself in order to be redeemed. See, she didn't ask to be redeemed on the basis of her goodness and her faithfulness. And she was a pretty good lady. She was great. She was a a great, good, God fearing woman. Everybody around her noticed this. But when she came asking to be redeemed, she did not ask on the basis of her goodness and her faithfulness. When she came asking to be redeemed, she came asking on the basis of God's goodness and his faithfulness. You see, every single one of us have the opportunity to to become a part of God's family. He's, he's already uh, willing to adopt every single one of us and allow us to become his sons and his daughters. But for us to be adopted into God's family, we have to be willing to humble ourselves before him and trust him with his ability to save us by his goodness and his faithfulness. So it doesn't matter how good you think you are. You can be the best person on the face of the earth, but that does not earn you the right to be a part of God's family. The Bible tells us that even on our best day, our righteousness, our goodness is nothing but a bunch of filthy, disgusting rags. So it doesn't matter how good you think you are, that doesn't earn you the right to become a part of God's family, and the opposite is true as well. It doesn't matter how bad you think you are. Like You could be the worst person on the face of the earth and that does not not take away your opportunity to become a part of God's family. We are saved by God's grace, not by works, not by anything that we can do so that we can't boast about who we are, our goodness and our faithfulness. We're saved by God's grace and, and God alone and his goodness, his faithfulness so that all we can boast in is God. So it doesn't matter how good or how bad we think we are. There's only one way for us to become a part of God's family. And that is by his grace, through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So have you humbled yourself before the Lord? Have you humbled yourself before God to say, do for me what I cannot do for myself? Will you save me? Will you give me an opportunity to be a part of your family? So you're in the middle of this great love story. What role are you playing? Chapter 1, we have Ruth's confession of faith, God providing for needs. In chapter 2, chapter 3, Ruth humbling herself in order to be redeemed. And then in chapter 4, God takes care of the future. You see, Boaz wanted to make sure he did everything by the book. He wanted everything to be legally binding so that it would give Ruth and Naomi a hope and a future. And what God did for us to secure our future is also legally binding. According to Mosaic law, an animal sacrificed is a necessity in order to pay the penalty for sin. And all of us have sinned. Like we all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. That's what it says in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. In Hebrews 9.22 it says, Under the law almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. You see, God paid a heavy price so that our future could be legally bound and and secure. That heavy price was the ultimate price. He, He sent his only son to die for us, to shed his blood, so that we could have a personal relationship with Jesus and be part of God's family. See, he was redeeming us, purchasing us back into his possession. We were created to be in this relationship with God, but sin separated us. That's what redemption is, God purchasing us back into his possession. So when we humble ourselves before God and we put our faith in his hands and in our lives in his hands and his goodness, his faithfulness, he not only provides what we need, he also secures our futures. Many of you know Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven 11, it says, "'For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future.'" You see, as Christ followers, we should say yes to being men and women who are faithful. We should be among the most faithful men and women on the face of the earth, but the reason we should be faithful is because of God's faithfulness. When we begin to realize all that God has done for us, like the price he paid for us to secure, legally secure our place with him and part of, as part of his family, when we begin to realize all that he's done for us and we realize his faithfulness, How could we not give him all of our faithfulness? But again, we have that tendency to be fickle with our faithfulness. That's why we have to keep coming back over and over and over, saying, God, forgive me. I messed up again. I trust you. Father, strengthen my faith and help me. See, no matter how good or bad you may think you are, I want you to hear this morning that God is pursuing a relationship with you. I don't care how good you think you are, I don't care how bad you think you are, God is pursuing a relationship with you. And because He is pursuing that relationship with you, you are right in the middle of the greatest love story that's ever been written. The question for you this morning is what role are you playing in that love story? I mean, are you, are, are you part of God's family? If you've never humbled yourself before the Lord, made that confession of faith in God like like Ruth did, and you've never humbled yourself before God like Ruth humbled herself before Boaz and said, save me, I can't save myself. If you've never done that, then your role in this great love story is as someone who is outside of of God's family. I mean, you still have a role to play. You're still part of the story. You need to hear that this morning. You're part of this story, but you're outside of the good part. You're outside of God's family. You're still running and refusing his pursuit of you. And if that's you this morning, you you can change that role today. You don't have to stay in that role. It's not set for life. You can change that role. All you've got to do is profess your faith in Christ. Humble yourself before God. Put your life in his hand this morning. You can become a part of God's family. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. Anthony's going to come back and lead us in a closing song. And as he does, um, I'm going to be standing right here at the front. This morning, if you're ready to become a part of God's family and you know that you're not, we want you to have the opportunity to come and be a part of that. And so you come. After we pray and as we sing, you come and you let us know that you're ready to become a part of God's family. Now, some of you may be a part of the family, but you might be more like Naomi. You might be bitter. You might be cold and distant from God because of all the difficulties that have gone on in your life. Maybe, maybe your faith has been very fickle, and, and so your faith in God has kind of waned away. And you realize this morning that, that you need to get away from being fickle, that you need to strengthen your faith in God. You need to return home. You need to come back to Jesus. So if that's you this morning, and you realize that you've grown cold and distant from God, listen, God's still there. If anybody's moved, it's you. Like, he's right there. He is forever faithful and true to us. And so if anybody's moved, it's you. And guess what? The same way you moved away, you can draw right back in. Come back home. Come back home to Jesus. Some of you need to join the church this morning. If that's you, uh, we welcome you to come and let us know. Some of you just need to pray. Like, I know you're wanting to do some business with God. So as we sing in just a moment, if you want to pray at the altar, you're welcome to come and pray at the altar or pray right there where you're sitting. However God may be leading you to respond, just respond. I mean, if we have no response from our messages on Sunday or no response when we read God's Word, then we're not getting it. And something's missing. So would you respond? You don't have to respond down here. You may need to respond right there in your hearts. So respond this morning, however God may be leading you. Every single one of us are right in the middle of the greatest love story that's ever been written. Are you allowing yourself to be fully loved as part of God's family? Or are you running from his pursuits? It's one or the other. Fully loved or running. What role will you play when you leave here today? Would you pray with me? Father God, I I am personally grateful that you pursue each and every one of us. It doesn't matter how good we think we are or how bad we know we are. God, you still want a relationship with every single one of us. Father, I'm eternally grateful. I know many here are eternally grateful as well. So, Father, we pray this morning that there are those here that, that are outside of your family that they would quit running from your pursuits. That today, that they would run towards you instead of away from you, and that they would embrace Jesus, become a part of your family, become a son or a daughter. So, Father, would you move during this time? Would you give us courage to respond? Even if we don't come down front, God, give us the courage to respond to you right where we are. But, God, if there's a commitment that we need to make public, I pray that you give us the courage to take those steps and make that commitment public today.